Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan Capehart, and welcome to Cape Up. Democrats are falling all over themselves trying to figure out how to win back white working class voters. The pollster Cornell Belter says not so fast. We spent a lot of time talking about blue collar white voters and Reagan Democrats. Reagan Democrats are dead, right? After conducting two focus groups, one in Fort Lauderdale, the other in Milwaukee, you'll never guess who the Democratic pollster says is the new swing voter. And you can find out right now. Cornell Belcher, thank you very much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Okay, there's so much to talk about. You were a pollster on both of President Obama's presidential campaigns. You're the author of the book, A Black Man in the White House. don't forget Howard Dean. I was, oh, right. Dean, I was Dean's pollster, architect, 50 state strategy, built on our, on, our, on our research. I get a lot of sort of kudos for the Obama work, but we did a lot of great stuff under, under Dean, by the way, which I think some of the party should look back on now, some of the stuff that we did then when Karl Rove was talking about a permanent Republican majority mm-hmm. in 2006 came along. We, we put in things in the infrastructure and the people in place to take advantage of a wave election. Then I think they ought to be doing that now. Okay, so this is perfect. So you are the perfect person to talk about <laughs> what the hell is going on <laughs> with the American electorate the Democratic Party, the Republican Party, all the stuff in the White House. But the primary reason why I wanted you to come on the podcast rather than writing a blog post about this is that you did a series of focus groups. And the key thing to come out of this focus group, to my mind, is that there is a new swing voter. Everyone seems to think that the swing voter is the white working class Reagan Democrat but that's not the case. Talk about this, this, um, these focus groups that you did. <laughs> right. First, of all, we did focus groups for Civic Engagement Fund, which is a great organization headed up by Andrew Haley. And you're right. If you look at millennials, right, millennials were the key to the Obama coalition. If you understand what millennials are, I mean, they're the most diverse generation in, in American history. And we overperformed with, with millennials, right? And if you look at the future, uh, the future for progressives, you're going to have to look to younger voters, especially younger, better, edu- better educated voters, I would argue. If, if We spend a lot of time talking about blue-collar white voters and Reagan Democrats. Reagan Democrats are dead, right? And their children are, their adult children are leaning, are leaning Republican. But if you look at Obama's back-to-back majority coalition, and I want to underline that, Jonathan, back-to-back majority coalitions, right? When was the last time a Democrat won a back-to-back majority coalition? Heck, when was the last time a Republican had a majority mm-hmm. coalition, right? I mean, it seemed to me that cobbling back together that majority coalition, which when he was on the ticket, we, we picked up House seats and Senate seats, right? Cobbling together that coalition, bringing that coalition back together would seem to make a lot more sense to me than trying to, in fact, bring in voters who have not been voting Democrat for for, for quite some time. And if you look at where Hillary underperformed, look, if she performs, even with the turnout where it was, if she if she matches Obama's performance levels with millennials who voted for Barack Obama, she's president of the United States of America. Right. Um, But what we saw going into this election were younger voters, these younger Obama voters 
rejecting the binary choice of, of a lesser of two evils, right? One of, the, one of the last memos I wrote to Governor Dean after the 2008 election was this. We've expanded the electorate. We brought in a, a lot of people who were not a part of the process before. And a lot of these young people in particular are Obama voters, they're not necessarily Democratic voters, mm -hmm. but they are Obama voters. They're more in line with us on the issues, more in line with us from a, from, from a value standpoint, but they are not closely tied to either party, and they're not necessarily loyal Democratic voters. We're going to have to work very hard to make them Demo uh, loyal Democratic voters. And when you look in state after state, look at Wisconsin, look at, look at Florida, look at Michigan, when you look at their third party voting, the protest vote of, of what was once a part of the Obama Youth Coalition, in those margins is where she was off of, of Obama's performance, right? And in those margins is where she lost the election. I argue that Donald Trump, Donald Trump got 46% of the electorate, right? He didn't expand the Republican tent. In fact, he got a, lo a lesser percentage of the electorate than, than Mitt Romney mm -hmm. did, right? And if you look at state after state, it's not like he got to a majority in Michigan. It's not like he got to a majority in any most of the battleground states. What did Donald Trump get in Florida? He got 49% and won. You know what percentage of that Mitt Romney got in Florida? He got 49% and lost, right? This was not, to me, about what Donald Trump did. It was what about Democrats failed to do. Okay, so clearly Democrats failed to bring people out to the ballot, to the ballot box in the way that President Obama was able to do. Uh, yes, but even if... You know, turnout wasn't as horrible as, as, as I think first indications were. Even with turnout the way it, way it was, our underperformance with certain segments of the electorate, especially minority voters, right? If, if you were to tell me that, you know, 6 or 7% of minority voters in Florida were going to vote third party and protest their vote, I think we saw it in the data, but, on, but in the end, Jonathan, I didn't think that those voters would actually stand in line. They'd be so pissed off mm -hmm. at the process and at both parties that they would actually stand in line and cast a protest vote, which is what they did. Even with turned out the way it was, if she if she captures those once Obama voters, mm -hmm. she's president. See, and that's the, the next point I was going to get to is that in 08 and 12, the Obama coalition, they come together and they vote for President Obama. But in 16, as you, you said, that t turnout wasn't as horrible as we thought just overall, but it's that the third party candidates got more votes than they did in eight and, and of, 12. Of our, of our coalition. Right, of right. the coalition, so, so our, it was our, bled our, votes away from. Right. from our, our coalition our coalition's splendor. Is, there's a breaking away of the coalition, and this is a long-term danger because in what we clearly see in, in the focus groups is they don't regret that what they did. And that's the thing that that is the thing that I, you know, I'm looking at some of these comments. I'm just like, um, for instance, here's this person from the focus group you did in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Voting for third party does not make Republicans win. It makes both parties change the conversation. Or I really don't care if I don't know the third candidate. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep voting for them anyway until they stop trying to force us to choose between the lesser of two evils. And then this other person goes, you're damn right. I don't I don't have any loyalty to Democrats. If Republicans want to get real about shit that's happening in my community, I would vote for every one of them. Then maybe Democrats would take us seriously, take us serious, too. I mean, I get where the anger comes from. 
But as we're seeing with the current administration, elections have consequences. There are protest votes, and then there are protest votes that actually exacerbate the problems that you see, that you're mad about, and that you have every right to be mad about. You know, one of my my early uh, mentors, the late, great Bill Lynch from New York, oh, yeah. uh, used, to, used to tell me every now and then, Cornell, you're being too rational. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and, and over time, you, you, you get that. I mean, they are at a different place, right? They are so outraged by the broken politics that they see on both sides. And, they don't, and to a certain extent, they don't think Democrats are any, are any better, right, mm-hmm. at, at this, that they really think that them protesting their vote and like that person said in the focus groups right it makes both parties change the conversation it makes both parties have to pay attention right and to a certain extent they're not wrong in that right Mm -hmm. the democratic party needs to pay more attention to these to these younger diverse voters right the democratic party and one of the things is it's not even so much about the issues, right? It is about a it is about where we stand from vision and a value statement. If you look at the from an issue standpoint, these younger Obama voters, they're a lot more in line with Democrats on all the issues, mm-hmm. right? It, it it was an emotional thing for them. It was a vision thing for them, right? It is they want to see change, and they don't think that the Democratic Party right now represents the change that they want to see. Oh, wait a minute, though. So there's Hillary Clinton running her heart out, talking about any number of issues that that voting block cares about. And they agree on probably 98, 99 percent of the things. So why wasn't she able to? Was it about her? Was it about the party? Was it about the message? What was it? Well, you know, Jonathan, as someone who worked on two campaigns Look, I understand. We take a lot of incoming, right? And I don't want to second guess any of the Clinton campaign folks. And and look, Lord knows we made a lot of bad decisions on on the Obama campaign. We we had a, a really great candidate, but but there's there's a couple of things. One is, you know, is this a vehicle that you actually trust to do these things? Two is, tactically. The Democrats have to change, right? And and we spent a lot more money on the Obama campaign, chasing and and going after younger voters in unique ways. When I do a focus group in Charlotte, about three weeks out from the election, about three four weeks out from the election. And remember at that time, you know there was the riots and stuff going on just oh, happening right, in Charlotte right. around that. And I do a focus group with younger. African-Americans who had voted in in last presidential voted for Barack Obama. And I showed them, you know, their their top issue is is racism and and criminal justice reform. And I showed them a sheet of paper and a sort of policies on criminal justice reform. And it is right in line with everything they had just talked to me about. And they said, who is that? Is that Black Lives Matter? Who is that? I said, this is from Hillary Clinton, and they cannot believe it. And none of them have heard it. It has not penetrated with them. They push back on me that if Hillary Clinton was here on criminal justice reform where we are, I think we know about it. But how is that? I mean, I, mean, I knew it. You knew it. Yeah, why, but we're, why, we're, we're, we're outliers, right? It, but it, 
<laughs> Jonathan, you and I are outliers. Uh, not just because we're good-looking black men. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got the better hair. <laughs> but we're outliers. Like, look, and one of the things I think, and this is a debate within the Democratic Party, right? It is absurd that we spend as much money on broadcast television as we do chasing this mythical unicorn white swing voter, right? As opposed to, in fact, trying to inform and persuade and move voters who are with us already, right? I think Republicans get this. They always, first and foremost, go to their base, energize their base, mm-hmm. right? I think we're spending too much money on television, and television is not a primary vehicle for, for younger voters so then where should the money? So then where should the money go? Digital? T- apps? What? All the above, uh-huh. right? I think, I think we have to turn over the upset the apple cart. Right. From sort of how we target and we communicate. Part of the problem is, though, there's a lot of vested interest in the way we do things, what the continue to do the things the way mm-hmm. they've, they've been done in the past. Right. And I know and I don't I don't blow smoke around that is that a, a big part of the Democratic problem of the Democratic Party or in fact, the, is, is the consultant class mm-hmm. who have a very vested interest in win or lose. The consultant class wins. Right. And this, this is and this is the argument that Steve Phillips makes. Steve Phillips is the author of the book Brown is the New White, which is, you know, he, his Great argument book, is, way. you know, there is a progressive majority in this country of 51 percent of people of color and progressive whites. But as much as he says it's there, the consultant class is making it basically impossible for the Democratic Party and progressives to upset the apple cart and go to where those communities are and spend the money there to get the message out to ensure that the progressive message, democratic message, is reaching the people who need they need to get to the polls. I will go one step further. I would say that part of the problem is you, and this is going to challenge the, the Democratic Party, it's going to challenge progressives. We need to empower a whole generation of people who don't look like the people currently at the table in most of these progressive organizations. Well, yes. Right? We need to empower a whole generation of of people, young people who don't look like the people often at the top of the Democratic Party, certainly not in the ruling consultant class of the Democratic Party. Right? So it is about how much do we believe in diversity? How much do we really believe in this ideal of a big tent and empowering communities? We are either going to empower a new generation of people who don't look like the heads of these these organizations right now, or we're not going to have a progressive majority in, in the future. Donald Trump and Republicans will continue to rule the day with 46, 47 percent of the vote. So as I was reading through the focus group and being fascinated by everything that, I, that I've seen here, the one thing that jumps out at me, and even in the discussion that we're having right now, is that really party doesn't mean anything to this new swing voter it's all it's really all about message and if you get to them with a message that appeals to them whether it's democrat or republican they'll respond i mean they went third party because you know the third party candidates were were saying things that appeal to them so is the is the lesson in this for the democratic party that the party should focus less on, hey, we're Democrats, and hey, here's what you care about. 
here's what our solution is and leave the Democratic Party stuff out into the to the fine print at the bottom. There, there, there's no silver bullet, but this is part of the problem. And we've seen this in I, I would argue we're seeing this in in some of the elections right now. Right. Look, Donald Trump's negatives aren't going to get any higher. They they know who Donald Trump is. And it's not about Donald Trump. Any, it's about sort of who we are. Right. We are uh, as, as, dem- as as Democrats. Democrats. Okay. Right. So, you know, again, no one I don't work at the DNC. No one's asked me at the DNC at the National Party. But we need a positive vision of who we are. Like it's not good enough that Republicans are bad. Right. Th- these voters got that Donald Trump <laughs> was was bad. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they heard got it with it. their own ears. Right, they got it, and one of the but it, it wasn't enough. Is about it's about who we are and what do we represent, right? And we have to have a vision for for America in the future that pulls them in. You know, I would argue that Barack Obama was able to expand the electorate and bring in a lot of new people into the process, especially younger people to the process, because he gave them something to vote for. And a lot of our norms and in, in, in politics and especially in the consultants are just attack, 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 right? And I get you, we, yes, we want to drive a contrast, but, it, but at some point, particularly with these voters, we have to give them something to vote for. And that's what Barack Obama did. He gave them something to vote for. So do you think that the, the, this whole craziness over so-called health care reform and you know, repealing Obamacare, replacing it with with Trump care, that that gives the party the opportunity to talk about what they are for. Right, right. It, it, it's, it is it is the values consideration, right? For better or worse, Jonathan, we are a an an awfully religious country, right? And we are a country that Middle America they make the sen- they make sense of their lives from the prism of their values. I think Democrats and progressives, especially in the Northeast Corridor, think that everything's a transaction, right? If you vote for me, I'm going to give you this. If you vote for me, I'm going to give you a, a, a raise in the minimum wage. If you vote for me, I'm going I'm to I'm give you more health care. Everything's a transaction, right? But to, that, to those middle Americans who, who make sense out of, from, the, from the prism of their values, they're not simply transactional, right? And there is... Populism, economic populism, is good, but it has its. It only gets us so far, right? And we've seen this in the special elections. I'm for economic populism as well, but it only goes so far. There has to be a turn also about sort of who we are from a value standpoint. Why is it that we're fighting for health care reform? Why is it that we're fighting for universal health care coverage, right? You know, why is it that we're fighting for the dignity? Of of working people to be able to feed their families from their from 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 their from their labor, right? I would like to see more. At this point, Democrats and I told a Democrat running for office for Congress this the other day who's running and 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 she's running in a district that 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 Trump won in. Stop talking about Trump. Talk about you and who you are. They they know who Trump is, right? And at some point, do we pivot? Yeah, and and we and and, and we contrast ourselves. Yes. But talk about who you are and why you want to do this, first and foremost. Uh, and stop, you know, b- beating up and bashing Trump and Republicans is not enough. So um, it sounds like what what candidates should do, particularly Democratic candidates should do, is in all of their races, focus on their district. 
<laughs> don't don't nationalize. Don't bring up Trump. Talk about the fact, hey, I'm a Democrat running in this district. Here, here are the issues that I think are important, that are important to you and that I'm going to fight for and, and vote for me. Not exactly. I mean, oh, part man. of it is, yeah, there's no silver bullet. And every district is different. But I would argue that as opposed to so here are the issues that I'm fighting for, I would argue that, he, you know, this is why I'm fighting for these issues, right? The voters, that working mom in middle America who's got a couple of kids and, and a husband, she don't know where the hell he is, and she's <laughs> got to raise the kids and feed them, and, and she doesn't know all the issues, right? She's not going to study all the issues. But in the end, can she trust you? Does, does she understand that you understand her? Does she understand that, that, that you have some concern with the things that she's concerned with? And if so, then she can then probably she can trust you. Right. Even if she doesn't know where you are on all the on, on all the issues. Are you a good are you, a, in fact, a good man? One of the things that that drove Democrats crazy about George Bush was early on. Remember, people thought George Bush was a good man. I th yeah. still think George Bush is a, is yeah. a good man. No, you know, and, and 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 I remember in focus groups, we, we test all these great negatives against George Bush. Right. And in the end, the, it would start. The conversation would always start, and a little old woman would start like, "Yeah, but he really loves his wife. Yeah, they go to church every Sunday. He's a good man, right?" In the end, they liked and trusted George Bush. They didn't know where George Bush was on most of the issues. In fact, <laughs> in fact, the Democrat candidate, be it Gore or Kerry, were a lot closer to to these working class voters mm -hmm. on on a whole range of issues. Um, than George Bush was. But the, but the key thing there is emotional connection. They had an emotional connection yes. to George W. Bush, to Barack Obama. But, I mean, you know, he's a good man. And there's a lot of weight to that. There is. I'm having a hard time making that leap of he's a good man in that emotional, deep, sort of spiritual, religious, moral way having a hard time making that leap to uh, the 45th president of the United States, given the Access Hollywood tape, given the things that he has said, uh, he said on the stump as a presidential candidate. And it gets me to something that uh, you wrote in your book. A black, a black man, man in the White House. Yeah, I'll let you say it. A black man in the White House. Um, <laughs> and you wrote this, you said, in the summer of 2016, we are bearing witness to the truth of American politics. Nothing trumps tribalism. While not the absolute or only variable, race is, by and large, the great political organizing line in America. So even though, compared to George W. Bush and Barack Obama, Donald Trump is not a quote-unquote good man, he was still able to eke but out enough got, votes. He's got, but yeah, but he. What I argue is that he he only got forty six percent. So he actually got less of a percentage of the vote than, than, than right. Than and Hillary Romney. Clinton won the popular vote by three he million votes. Not, he should not be. He should, again, it wasn't about what Donald Trump did. It was about what we failed to do. Right. But to your point about tribalism, Donald Trump, and if you look at polls now, you know Trump supporters are still with him. Donald Trump is giving them exactly what what they wanted. Right. He's he's giving them their country back, right? This ideal that they've lost their country. You know, Donald Trump started his, and this and, and this is where I get frustrated because you know what? I I I won't even have a, a a back and forth with with some of my Republican friends on this conversation. You do not start your your campaign 
talking about how Mexicans are rapists. Mm -hmm. You do not start your campaign talking about how bad Muslims are, how we got to have to ban them, and then pretend that that's not about uh, racism. Right. right? That's not about tribalism. Right. I'm not even going to have that conversation with you. It is a rebooting of the Southern strategy, which, Jonathan, you know, Mm -hmm. the Southern strategy is the most successful strategy in American history. Right. Is it is pitting particularly white working class voters against African-Americans, right? And it is simply the rebooting of that. Um, And so for those who, and when, look, when Donald Trump stands in front of his audience at his rallies and say, I'm going to give you your country back, Donald Trump's having a conversation about race. He's feeding into some racial anxiety. And when Democrats say, I'm going to give you a raise in the minimum wage, we are seeding, you know, as opposed to engaging in that conversation, we're seeding the ground from a racial conversation about the future of America to Donald to Donald Trump, and he or she who defines the debate wins the debate. I don't know what the answer is, Jonathan, but I, I know we can't, to... we can't we can't continue to seed that conversation to them. And look, I don't bash or beat up on working class, you know, voters, white voters who who do see tremendous change happening in their country, right. and they're anxious about that, right? right? And they're and they're right to be anxious about right. it. I mean, you would expect no... them to be anxious yeah. about it, right? But so my point is not to bash people who are anxious about the changes that are happening in their country, but Democrats have to give them an alternative vision, right? Because ultimately, Jonathan, America isn't getting whiter, right? right? That's, that's the thing. America is not is not getting whiter. <laughs> right. And so, you know, part of the, the empathetic discussion that, you know, I've been trying to have on the podcast with with other folks is, you know, there is anxiety. There is hurt. There is fear about what's to come. Some of it irrational, some of it rational, um, some of it not just affecting working uh, working class whites. There are folks, working class African-Americans, working class Latino Americans and Asian Americans. Um, these are issues that span that span race. But when it comes to this thing, I'm going to give your country back. I wish Democrats could come up with a with some kind of line that incorporates your country hasn't left you. Maybe it's the <laughs> politics have the politics have left you. The parties have left you. And our mission as a country, as a democracy, is to ensure that as we change, as we have always changed throughout our 200 plus year history, that everyone is brought along, that no one is left behind. Why can't Democrats figure out a way to boil down my ramble into a nice bumper it would, sticker. I, I think it makes a lot I think it makes a lot of sense and I think this is how you have to engage the conversation. But listen, we are we are unique in that very shortly in the what the next decade, decade and a half, we're going to become a majority minority country, right? Or at least a plurality minority country. No there's not another you know first world world power democracy to ever have this change happen, right? All of a sudden, minorities will now be plurality or or the majority. And in my book, I argue this was a cataclysm, right? For the first time in American history, the vast, vast majority, the will of the vast, vast majority of white voters did not determine the outcome of, of the presidency of the United States, Right. Barack Obama did not win, did not win white voters in in 08. And he did not. We did even worse among them in in 12. In fact, Romney blew through blew through Reagan's uh, numbers with, with white voters, which once upon a time was a majority. 
And and just to keep in mind, folks, no Democrat has won a majority of the white vote since Lyndon since Johnson. Johnson signed the Civil Rights yeah. Act, right? And he and Lyndon Johnson, with courage, you know, we don't talk enough about Johnson and integrity. He knew, and he said, "Look, there goes the South." Yep, yeah, I've signed away the South for right. a generation. Right. Which he what, what he really could have said is, "There goes the white voters for three, four, five generations." Right. Right. Uh, right. And if you look at, and but back to your point, if you look at, look, and I saw a stat the other day where if you look at some of the southern states, I think like Georgia is one of them, the majority of kids in elementary school right now are children of color. This is about us winning the future, right? This is not about the small we, but the big we as America. If you project sort of the inequalities and disparities forward when the minorities become a majority, you're talking about a failed country. You're talking about a third world country. Right. It is in all of our interests, in fact, to make sure that 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 young Hispanic child gets the best education possible. So when so when you and your suburbs say, you know what, I don't want my tax dollars going to those inner city schools. What you're saying is I don't want America to win the future. Cornell Belcher, president of Brilliant Corners Research and Strategies and author of A Black Man in the White House. Thank you very much for being on the podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Cape Up. Tune in every Tuesday. You can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. And how about doing me a huge favor? Subscribe, rate, and review us. I'm Jonathan Capehart of The Washington Post. You can find me on Twitter at CapehartJ. I'm James Holman, national political correspondent for The Washington Post and author of the Daily 202 newsletter. I'm excited to announce we're launching a new audio briefing called The Daily 202's Big Idea. Every morning, I'll give you a quick summary of the day's biggest political headlines, as well as analysis of one of the day's most important stories. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts and on your Amazon Echo device or Google Home. By the way, if you want to subscribe to the Daily 202's email newsletter, you can do so by visiting WashingtonPost.com slash newsletters. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope you'll listen. Thanks. The Washington 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 Post. Post.